All right, if you have your Bibles, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 will be our text. How is everybody? You doing all right? Ready to get to work? Jeremiah 29, we are taking a little bit of a break from our uh, family series that we started last week because this weekend is outreach weekend here at Berean. Very important time where we uh, talk about our, our mission partners and uh, just have a lot of different things going on around that theme of outreach. And so what I felt I would do is to take the morning to share my heart and my burden for uh, mission and outreach here in our community, in our city, and to kind of share with you really a passage that's been very instrumental in my life as I think through how the church is supposed to uh, be a light and salt in uh, the community where we're planted. And so this morning, uh, the Lord has led me to this passage in Jeremiah 29, and uh, we're going to look at verses 4 through 14. So if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, and uh, look with me here at verse 4. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease." But seek the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream, for it's a lie they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when seventy years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you. I'll fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and I will come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations In all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, just uh, ask you to speak to us. Uh, So thankful that your word gives us instruction on, on who we are and how we're supposed to live and the mission that you've called us to. So uh, God, help us as we unpack this text to, uh, to wrap our mind and our lives and our church around this truth found here. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, there's a, um, an old uh, Japanese proverb that says that the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. The nail that sticks out or up gets hammered down. Now, what do you think that proverb means? The meaning is that if you find yourself in a situation where uh, everybody else is different, or you find yourself in a situation where you stick out, the best thing for you to do is to conform. It's the safest place to be. It's the safest way to live. Because after all, the nail that sticks out is the one that gets hammered down. If you're not familiar with that proverb, you may be familiar with this one that uh, we know a little more. When in Rome, what? 
do as the Romans, which was originally said by Ron Burgundy. I think that's right. If my memory serves me, right? I can't say that when in Rome without thinking, and, you know, so when in Rome, you do as the Romans. Now, both of these proverbs get to the tendency that you and I have that when we find ourselves in certain situations, we, sent, we tend to want to conform to whatever circumstance or people that we're around. Now, you do it, and I do it. And as, as Americans, we don't typically like to think of ourselves as conformists because we so value individualism. We would say, oh, I don't conform. I'm a nonconformist. Yeah, right. Everybody has certain areas of life that you conform to. Uh, I, met, I guarantee you, some of you were in, when you were in school, uh, people were making fun of another student and you just joined right in. You've laughed at jokes that you didn't think were funny, but it was kind of expected that you would laugh, some of which happens on Sunday morning, and I appreciate that. Uh, you, you conform to, you know, you always have dessert after you eat. Why not first? You know? Um, the only thing that I have found in Minnesota that people don't conform to is the speed limit. <laughs> and the NASCAR fan in me, if people don't get off my bumper, is about to get somebody loose and into the wall, all right? I'm just kidding. I would never do that, so far as you know. Um, <laughs> But we all conform to things. You know, when you're at church, you act a certain way. When you're at school, you act a certain way. And I don't mean like in the hypocritical way. I mean, it's just when you're around different people, you tend to conform into a different way of, of talking or acting or whatever. We all do it. I mean, even nonconformists are conforming against conforming. You figure that out. But it's all of us in some way. The tendency is when we find ourselves sticking out, it's a lot safer and easier just to conform. After all, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Now listen, that's not just a social temptation that every one of us faces. It's a spiritual temptation. What I mean by that is that all of us are faced with the tension and the challenge of as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, do I stick out in the world or do I blend in? That's a real challenge. Do we as a church, do we, do we stick out in the world or do we try to become like the world? It's always been a temptation. That's why uh, in the book of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. Some of you know them well. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be what? Conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, now here's a really deep, deep, deep question. Uh, why did Paul write, don't be conformed? Answer, they were tempted to conform. How's that for deep truth? The Apostle John said the same thing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Why does he write that? Because there was a temptation among Christians in his time to love the world, to become like the world. It's always been the tension. And here in Jeremiah 29, we find that same kind of battle, that war, that tension of, of do we stick out or do we blend in? And I think this text really helps us to understand the mission that God has called us to do. So let, let's talk about that for just a few moments this morning. 
The first approach that the people of God had as they found themselves in the city, when Jeremiah says these words, the the people of God are in exile. They're strangers in the land of Babylon. Uh, I know all of you remember the series on Habakkuk, the uncertain series a few months ago. You took great notes. You remember everything about it. Play along, right? Um, And you'll remember that in the book of Habakkuk, God said, I'm going to send the Babylonians. Do you remember that whole thing? Well, now here in the book of Jeremiah, Babylon has already come, and Israel has already been taken captive in Babylon. And so they're the people of God living in a strange city. The people of God living in a city that did not worship God. Sound irrelevant? Sound like anything you might find yourself in? A Christian in a school that doesn't worship God? A Christian in a job? A Christian in a city? where God is not worshipped? What do you do when you find yourself in that kind of situation? That's where the people of God were at. And the first approach that they were offered was an approach called syncretism. Syncretism. How many of you have ever plugged your cell phone into your computer and you've tried to sync that up? The, the idea there is you're taking the information on your phone, the information on your computer, and you're trying to make them one. You're taking this and this and combining them. And that's syncretism. It's the, it's the blender approach. Take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Put it all in a pot. Stir it up. And you have something completely new. Now, this was the approach that Babylon offered um, Israel, the people of God. In fact, another book that's written during this time is the book of Daniel. Now listen to what the king of Babylon offered Daniel in Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. Here it is. It says, The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. See, follow me. The, the Babylonians had learned something about how you get rid of the people. And they, they had a different approach than, say, that of Egypt several hundred years back when the Egyptians uh, had uh, Israel in captivity and they made them slaves. They beat them down. They oppressed them day in and day out. And Israel ultimately rebelled through the leadership of Moses and they left Egypt. See, so the Babylonians are thinking, no, 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 wait a minute. Maybe the best approach to get rid of a people isn't to beat them down. Maybe it's to blend them in. Why don't you eat what we eat? Drink what we drink. Share in our jobs. Marry our women. Speak our language. You see, if we can get you to blend in, long enough, before long, they won't be able to tell the difference between the people who are of God and the people who aren't. We're not going to oppress you. We're just going to say, welcome home. And the people of God were faced with the temptation of becoming just like the people who did not worship God. And the truth is, church, now just hear my heart here. As I look at the landscape of Christianity in America, and not just in America, but all over the world, there's a real temptation for churches 
to try to reach the world by becoming like the world. And oftentimes it's done in the name of relevance. Well, we want to be relevant. And so we're going to water down the gospel and we're going to compromise truth and we're not going to teach the Word of God. But here's the problem. In your attempt to be relevant, you've actually become irrelevant to the thing that matters most. The gospel, the truth of God. The most relevant thing we can offer anybody is the hope that can only be found in Christ. It doesn't get any more relevant than that. But the temptation has always been, I I, I want to try to be on mission by becoming like the world. But here's the problem, folks. Hear me, hear me, hear me. You're not going to reach the world by becoming just like the world. Because what will happen is the world will look at you and say, but you're just like me. You want what I want. You have the same goals that I have. You have the same values. You make the same decisions. There's no fragrance of Christ because you smell like everybody else. And so Israel, the people of God, was not. They were not to become like Babylon. Otherwise, they would lose their ability to reach them and win them. May I remind you, Hebrews 13, 14, here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. This is not, this culture is ultimately not the home of a Christian. 1 Peter 2, now this is big. This is the New Testament now talking about people who aren't Jews. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, I urge you sojourners and exiles. Are you tracking with me there? Peter uses the same language about you that Jeremiah 29 uses about Israel. You are exiles, you are strangers, you are aliens. Don't make your home here. Don't be like the world. Now, I've been in a lot of churches, if you're still with me, a lot of churches that would amen, amen, amen what I just said. Don't be like the world. You know, you hear that old cliche of don't, you know, smoke, drink, or chew, or date women that do. You know, you remember that? (laughs) Some of you just heard that for the first time. (laughs) You know, uh, I grew up in that kind of environment. In fact, I married a woman who chews. I'm just kidding, I don't. uh, (laughs) My my southern roots only go so far, all right? Um, She was in the second service, and I'm in big trouble for saying that. But anyways... That was kind of the mentality. I mean, it wasn't the full description of spirituality growing up, but it was close, meaning you were a good Christian and you were a witness for God by all the things you didn't do. I'm not worldly. Uh, I literally remember a pastor who, who said one time that uh, don't be worldly, and the Greek word for world is cosmos, which comes from cosmeo, which is where we get the English word cosmetics. You know where I'm, which means we have a whole bunch of worldly women in this church, you know? It's like, slap that guy. I mean, like literally in Jesus' name. Because the Bible doesn't say that, nor is that even what those Greek words are talking about at all. What's my point? As much as we have people that will amen, don't be like the world, we also have a lot of people who need to be challenged not to be isolated from the world by making up rules that don't exist. 
You say, well, where's that in the text? I'll show you that in the text. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse 8. And let me tell you what's happening here. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you. So in other words, these religious prophets were saying something deceptive. Don't listen to the dreams they dream. Why? Verse 9, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Now, if you want in your afternoon reading to go back to Jeremiah 28 and listen to what the uh, prophets of Israel were saying, you can read that, but here's what it was. This captivity is only going to last a short time. Two or three years and we're out of here. It's not going to last long. Hang tight, Israel. We're not going to be in Babylon very long. So what we need to do is forget Babylon, those pagans. We belong in Jerusalem. And so we're going to make a little camp outside the city, and we're going to live there because it won't be long till rescue will come and God will deliver us. Which sounds a lot like a lot of prophecy people that I hear today. I'm all for prophecy, all for you studying prophecy. But what I hear coming from a lot of prophecy people is Jesus is going to return any moment, and so get out of the world. Don't have anything to do with the world whatsoever. But here's my question. How are you going to win the world if you're isolated from the world? You see, just as much as there's a pull to become like the world, which will never win the world, There's also a pull to isolate ourselves from anything to do with the world, but that doesn't win the world either, are you see? Here's what it looks like. It's the Christian subculture. I may get in a little bit of trouble, but that's okay. I live there most of the time as a preacher. It's the Christian subculture. It's where we only listen to Christian music, and we only have Christian friends, and all of our jewelry has a fish on it, and bumper stickers as well. And the only clothes in our closet is the Lord's Gym t-shirt or something to do with Jesus. And all of our paintings in our home have Jesus or a cross in them. And if our sink breaks, we have to hire a Christian plumber. Amen. Amen. That's right. <laughs> it, is, it is Christian, 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 Christian. You live in the little bubble, the little little subculture of Christianity, completely disconnected from lostness. And how do you expect to penetrate lostness when you're sitting outside the city? God, through Jeremiah, has something else to say to his people. And it's not become like Babylon, and it's not isolate yourself from Babylon. It's something very different because God understands that Babylon is not going to be reached if his people don't engage. Uh, Before we move on here, let me just say that this, this idea of being outside the city and not engaging with Babylon, it reminds me of a story. How many of you remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? Remember the story of Jonah? Uh, and he was called to go to a place called Nineveh, and he didn't like Nineveh very well. Um, they were Assyrians, and he didn't, they were different than him, and, and, and a whole bunch of other historical barriers uh, that he didn't want to go, and so he ran. Eventually, he goes to Nineveh. 
He shares the message of God's mercy and repentance. Nineveh starts to repent. And where is the prophet of God called to serve the city? You know where he is? Jonah chapter 4. The Bible says that he built a wooden booth and he sat outside the city. I imagine with like a bucket of popcorn watching to see if God's going to destroy those pagan people. Now that's an image of a man called of God to be on mission for God to a people different than him, and yet he has isolated himself from them. And you keep that image in your mind because that's where a lot of Christians and a lot of churches live. The church becomes, this is big, the church becomes not a launching pad to send us into the world. It becomes the nice little booth that protects us from the world. And we will never make a difference if that's how we view being a church. So it's not syncretism. It's not separatism, isolation. What is it? Well, note to self, it's always good to just listen to what God says. Can I get an amen on that? That's, that's like a yes, you know, yes. Um, don't listen so much to what all the religious people say. What does God say? What does the Bible say? And notice in verse 10 it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. In other words, God is saying, I didn't say it would be two or three years. I'm telling you it's going to be 70 years, so you better get settled in. I've got something I want you to do. Okay, what is it? What is it? Verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now that's awesome. That's awesome. Take that worldliness and take that legalist. What God says is, I'm going to put you here for 70 years, and I'm putting you here to serve. Now, I can only imagine the response of Israel when they heard this from the prophet of Jeremiah. Because remember, they're like, you know, we ought to be in Jerusalem, and, you know, we're not where we're supposed to be, and we're exiles, and we want to go home, we want to go home. And it's as though God, maybe I'm reading into this, says, would you quit your whining? You're going to be here a while. But I have you here for a mission. I have you here for a purpose. You are where I want you to be. And I'm going to give you three very practical things that shape the vision of why God has put Brian Baptist Church right here in the South Metro to reach the cities. And the first thing that God shows them here in this call to serve, to seek the good of the city, starts with their location. This is good. Verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. Why is Israel in Babylon? Answer, God wants them to be. <laughs> We're here because of what? You sent us here? I thought you loved us. Do you know how bad winter is in this place? <laughs> right? Oh, was that a little too close to home? I'm sorry, my bad. 
I mean, don't you under, do you know how, how liberal it is, how conservative it is? Do you know about this people or about this people? Don't you know this isn't where I want to be? It may not be where you want to be, but it's where I want you to be. Oh, don't think you got here because your job transferred you. Don't think that you're here because you just grew up here. You're here, I mean, to think that way is to think too humanly. You're at the job that you're at only because of the pay package it offers. That's crazy. That's way too shallow. Or, or, or you live in the neighborhood you live in because the housing market just happened to be the, the right situation for you in the right school district. That's way too, too humanly thinking. You're in the neighborhood you're in, in the job that you're in, in the city that you're in, because God has put you there. And he may not keep you there 70 years. 70 years of winter, you know? <laughs> God, no, rescue. You know, it may not be 70 years at your employment, 70 years in your neighborhood, but as long as God has you there, he has you there for a reason. And some of us just need to like selfishly repent that we're way too focused on us and see that I'm here as a gospel tree planted to bear gospel fruit for the good of my neighborhood, of my employment, of my school. And that's where it starts. You see, God realizes that for Israel to understand the mission, they've got to start by realizing, I am where I am according to the sovereign hand of God. And, and listen, I realize some of you this morning might say, but, but pastor, you don't understand the difficult circumstances that I'm facing at my job or at school or whatever. Well, try, try being in captivity to another nation. I get that. I'm sensitive to that. But that does not give you an excuse to say, I won't be on mission. God says, I, you're in exile because I put you there. But know that my plan is to prosper you. It's always good for you, as the text goes on to say. But we start by seeing our location. Here's the second thing, is not just location, but once we get that down, we look at participation. Notice what he says in verse 5. Uh, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Now, the, the application of today's message is not, we're all going to go out and plant a garden in Jesus' name. And we're going to build a house for the glory of God. No. What does that verse mean in its proper context? You've been brought into a city of Babylon. And what I want you to do there is not only realize that I put you there, but I want you to be an active part of the culture. Build houses, plant vineyards, participate. Now listen closely, because I'm going I'm to hurt some of your feelings. That's all right. In Jesus' name and in Christian love. <laughs> if at your work you're lazy and you call yourself a Christian, repent. If at your school, teenagers, you're really going to hate me, please come back. Right? <laughs> if at your school and in your classroom you're the laziest student when it comes to studying and you call yourself a Christian, repent. 
Doesn't mean you have to like that particular topic. Doesn't mean you have to like that place of employment. But it does mean this. If you start seeing your life in this way, it means I'm here for the good of the teacher. I'm here for the good of the classroom. I'm here for the good of my boss. I'm here for the good of the company. I'm here not for me. I'm here for the good of others. And that means I will not, my, I will not do my work to raise a paycheck. I will not do my work to get a good performance evaluation. I will do my work as unto the Lord. And that will transform the way you view school, the way you view family, the way you view employment and vocation. It is, particip- it is active, intentional participation in the location God has planted you. Do you see that from the text? You're here. I've put you here. Now, I want you to be active. Uh, Martin Luther said, um, he was asked, what would you do today if you knew Jesus was going to return tomorrow? His response was profound. He said, I'd plant a tree and pay taxes. And you're thinking, that doesn't sound profound at all. But what was his point? I'm going to go about every day living as though Jesus were going to return today. And that living that way has everything to do with my participation in the city, the culture, the context that God has placed me participate. Be the hardest worker, the hardest student. Listen, Augustine said this better than I could say it. Our citizenship in God's kingdom should make us the best citizens of earth. Would you just chew on that? Our citizenship in God's kingdom should make us the best citizens on earth. Not because we're more patriotic or wise, but because we do out of obedience to God what others do only if they are forced. Is there a desire to participate in the world around us here for the good of the city? Here, here's, here's a thought I want to give you, and I've got to wrap things up. Um, if everybody that comes to Berean Baptist Church were gone tomorrow, would Burnsville, Apple Valley, Lakeville, the South Metro, would it be different? Would it miss us? Would there be less of an impact because we're no longer here? Would the only difference be that the population went down? I don't think so. I pray to God that's not the case because I hope that the one thing the city around us knows is that this church loves the city and is here to do what it can for the welfare and good of the city. We are going to be a blessing, a gospel blessing, because in that is the blessing of God. It is not only location and participation, but then notice lastly, multiplication. Look at verse 6, and we'll, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. And then notice this phrase, multiply there and do not decrease. Do not decrease. Multiply. Now, you thought we were done with the family series um, for, for this week. We'll come back to that next week. But we do see here the point of family, don't we? The, the emphasis that God gave Israel in the city of Babylon to make sure that family was a priority, which means this. Listen, some of the greatest impact that you'll leave in the Great Commission is not how many mission trips you go on, 
but the impact you have with your family. The investment that you make in your family. And that's not a guilt trip. Again, we talked last week that there's not a formula to that, but it is a general teaching that, that a gospel legacy is left through family legacy. And don't forget family, God tells uh, Israel, but not just multiplication biologically, but, but we know the New Testament gives us a different uh, application of this multiplication, and here's what it is. Application of multiplication. Write that down. Matthew 28, Jesus says what? Go and make disciples. Do you want to know who we are here at Berean? Very simple. We are disciples called to make disciples. We are disciples called to make disciples. So when you see your location is God has put me here, and I'm going to actively participate for the good of others as a gospel witness to them in word and in deed, so that the multiplication of disciples can happen at school, at job, in the community. That's the mission. That's the mission. And it will set this church loose to do some crazy Jesus things in this community. And I can't wait. And imagine what the people of God would have thought when God said, I have you where I want you, and it's to be on mission. Not to conform, not to be like them, not to isolate yourself from them, but to serve them and for their good. Let me end with this right here, right here. Does any of this sound familiar? Any of you know an example of someone who came to not just the city, but to the world that was completely different than him? Had completely different values and a way of living. And yet someone who did not participate in sin, but did not isolate from sinners but sought to serve them that he might win them. Sounds a lot like Jesus. It sounds a lot like the Gospel. It sounds a lot like our mission. Jesus did not win the world by conforming to the world. Jesus won the world by serving the world by being willing to be crucified on a cross. Because trust me, dear friend, Jesus knows more than anyone in this room how the nail that sticks out gets hammered. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would lay on our hearts these, these young people, these teenagers, these adults. God, what, where is it that you have us? What school, what class, what job, what neighborhood, what city? And how can we be on mission with you there? And I pray that we would begin to see our church even differently, that this isn't a, just a come and experience, but come, be challenged, and go. Go to work, go to school, go to neighborhoods as gospel trees planted for gospel fruit. And so, Lord, help us, give us application, put people on our minds that we need to serve, situations that we need to speak into that this morning has been a wake-up call to be aware of our surroundings through your eyes 
and not ours. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.